Um, Eric Mieni. I work at Rapid Lion, the South African International Film Festival. So, uh, Mr. Eric Mieni, how are you? <laughs> I'm very good, thank you. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm very curious, right? I was reading a whole lot about your film festival. And what I noticed was how you had a BRICS approach to it, or rather inclusion of other BRICS countries into the film festival. Why did you feel the need to do that? Uh, Rapid Lounge is the, uh, I think, only festival in the country that has a film-specific uh, award ceremony. What by that we mean there's no television there, there's no... Uh, it's just film, specifically. Um, now, award ceremonies are meant to improve the product that they award, if you like. Um, so you can either say, as South Africans, uh, producing maybe, I don't know, not that many films a year, and very few great ones, uh, if you like, then you don't have the actual ceremony. There's just not enough film content for that, number one. Number two, it's much better to compete internationally in order to see what other people are doing and how you can improve. Our motto is better cinema through collaboration. Um, and so it made sense for us to start with BRICS. Uh, that's where South Africa fits in, if you like. Uh, and some of the best films are made from BRICS countries. Uh, the Russians are, for instance, credited with uh, creating editing, which didn't exist before, putting two uh, uh, moving pictures together that are unrelated to tell a different story, if you like. So you shoot somebody walking uh, towards this door. You have another picture on the inside. He opens the door, comes in. There are two unrelated pictures, but they tell you the guy walked into this room but it could have walked to any room. So that uh, uh, we know that uh, people like Tarantino will tell you a lot of their best uh, sequences in film they learn from Chinese movies. Uh, the Brazilians make incredible films. South Africa punches above its weight. Uh, if you know, we have won awards, um, you know, Berlinale, it's a very big one, uh, Oscar, it's a big one. So we punch above our weight. Uh, we've got the Africa side of it as well, African diaspora. So... The essence of it was to make sure that South African products in film compete with some of the best in the world. And BRICS had never, uh, BRICS had never been, uh, we were the first in the world to have a BRICS component. Uh, so we thought that was a good way to go, yeah. So in terms of these awards, are they like Oscar-esque awards or are you just looking for something more homegrown? I guess they are Oscar-esque in the sense that uh, we're trying to achieve everything that the Oscar tries to achieve. In the sense that it's a really great award. I'll show it to you before you go. Um, in the sense that uh, we hope to grow it to be quite a prestigious award. And uh, most importantly, we hope that it will help sell the product. So if it wins uh, a rapid line, if you like, it's considered a really good product that you know can be sold forward. Uh, we make a lot of amazing films in this country, if you like, uh, but we spend very little time on the marketing side of the product. So uh, we're busy with making the film about Ugoko and how she suffered, you know. Uh, and then we we spend very little time telling people why we're making the story of Ugoko and why she suffered and so that they can come and watch it. And things like 
Oscar ceremonies, Cannes International Film Festival, Berlinale, Toronto uh, International Film Festival, uh, all of them, they actually are selling products. They are telling the world, we make very good products. Go out there and watch them. So that's the space we thought Rapid Line could occupy for South African films specifically and for BRICS films in general. In light of what's been happening abroad with... um developed countries having issues around diversity and representation and all of that. And you just mentioned how we don't actually tell our story. We don't market our movies as well as we should. Maybe if representation is the issue of the developed countries where minorities want to be seen and heard, what would our biggest issue or hurdle be in South Africa in terms of the film industry? Well, the question of representation hinges more strongly on who owns and creates something, if you like. So even if people are kind uh, and you walk past their house and say, may I use your toilet, uh, they might not allow you to because they don't know you. Uh, And uh, you might get in their house and rob them. You might not. They don't know. It's their house. It's not yours. So um, our approach uh, is to say, try as little as possible to try and knock on people's houses to get a toilet, you see. Build a toilet, and in time, maybe you can build the other rooms, you know, and then you have your own house, and then you decide if somebody should come in and uh, and be in there. So the Oscar is a great product. It's approaching 95, 100 years. Uh, it's not child's play to build something like that. It's, it takes a lot of dedication, takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of money, and it needs an industry that produces stuff that is good enough to go in there. Uh, So I believe if there's a message for Africa or people who are knocking on other people's doors, to try a little bit to build and try and sustain what you've built and then be the person who chooses whether uh, somebody can come in or not. At least in my view, and I think it's probably a rapid line philosophy, uh, the days of trying to break down other people's things because they are not doing what you want them to do uh, a bit behind now. Uh, if you think what they've built is not good enough, uh, build something that's just as good or better that can do what you think should be done, if you like. So that's where we sit or, or, on, on, on that, yeah. That's a rather interesting analogy about knocking on people's houses. But, um, you know, in light of, you know, the recent box office successes of, you know, big forms like your Black Panthers and all of that, why is it that you think that we don't create as many films? Because you, you mentioned that we don't create as many films as we should be. Why is that? Ah, well, one would argue that uh, the first uh, reason would be a question of resources. Uh, art is often uh, much lower in the list of important things. Uh, people need to eat, uh, they need oxygen, they need school, and if they can get a painting, it's amazing. You know. Uh, so um, I think first what needs to change is the attitude that uh, art is a luxury, if you like, because art is an incredible industry, if you run it right, if you know what I mean. Um, a lot of people go to the Louvre, as an example, in Paris. And what people don't understand is that uh, the main attraction is one painting. Uh, It was done by an Italian, uh, bought by a French king and put in a French museum. And uh, to see uh, the Mona Lisa, if you like, you have to fly 
uh, to Paris. And once you get there, you have to eat something. And once you're there, you have to travel a little bit. You have to get a place to stay, and there's no way you're going for one hour and going back home. So you can imagine how much money the Mona Lisa is creating for France. So if you look at it like that, then you can understand the need to invest in art. Now, the thing about film, uh, in my view, is that it's probably the most expensive art form in the world. It is the closest to real life, but it's the most expensive to recreate. And I think at the moment, we're not concentrating enough on making the return on the films we make, uh, especially in South Africa. People just want the money to make the film they want to make. And that's it. And nobody says, well, you made that film. It cost us 12 million rand, and we haven't seen a cent of it, and now you have a very big car. Uh, where's the return? And because we are not making a return as much and as often as we should, uh, we are not able to generate enough resources to make the next film. There was a time when a $10 million film was a hectically expensive film in America. Very expensive. What? They spent $10 million. But they've built that industry so strongly, so uh, steadily, and, and so well, that now a $200 million investment, and it is an investment, is seen as okay. Uh, and you know that they made all that money back, plus $300 million profit in two weeks. Uh, so Black Panther cost $200 million. In the first two weeks, it made over $500 million. It's now approaching the billion-dollar mark. That's an industry. It's not a place where you... Uh, so we are not making enough films because we're not yet concentrating on the right side of the film business. We're busy with the film. We need to start making time for the business side of the film business. And the business side says, I invested $5 million in you, and I got $2 million back, so I can invest another $5 million to you. Oh, you brought... Five back this time. Now I can give you $10 million. Uh, at the moment, we're just going to the government, asking for money and insisting on it, making that film, sits on the shelf, goes out, who cares? And that's a problem. And I think we're not making enough films because we haven't yet gotten to the industry side of filmmaking, and we need to get there. Um, something that people should know about, because if film is, I mean, the arts, essentially, shouldn't be an afterthought. You know, with that being said, you know, your career has really had an overarching impact in our country. Just, just you, you, you've, you've been a household name and you still continue to be a household name. And, I mean, could you tell us a little, little about your experiences on screen and off screen as well? So uh, being an actor and a director. I got into acting by accident. I actually hate it. Uh, it's, it's an interesting thing. It's, it's like being a very good at maths and hating maths, you know. Uh, a lot of people, it's not me, they say I'm quite good at it. But I think uh, I'm a, I like having more control. Uh, and, and the actor is essentially an afterthought, uh, if you like. And uh, to do it well, of course, you have to t take control of certain decisions around what you do with the character and all of that, which is amazing. But uh, I'm built more... Uh, for behind-the-scenes work, uh, it's tough for a lot of people to believe that, but I literally got into acting by accident. Uh, back in the day, amongst other people, we're doing what is now seen as stand-up comedy, but we called it satirical comedy. And it's something that I thought would be my way of trying to change people's mindsets around apartheid and how bad it is. And I just wrote something, and, and then I thought, oh, 
maybe it's interesting. I read it to one friend who said, wow, that's really good. We read it to eight friends. They said, that's fantastic. And I said, okay, so who can I give it to to perform? And everybody said, but you wrote it, you do it. And uh, I did it. And before I knew it, I was touring Holland. I was everywhere. I had an agent. I was on TV. I was like, what? The, what's going on? You know, and I had to stop it all, so to speak. Um, except you can't erase being on TV. It's it's uh, once you've been there, it's 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 forever type thing. Especially if you're not that bad at it. If you don't look too bad, it, it it gets even worse. So if people think you are slightly attractive and you're not that bad at doing the job, it just lasts and lasts. So don't ever get into television by accident because you can't rub it off. Um, directing is, is um, much more at home on a set as a director. What's it like on set though? It's the closest you'll get in civilian life or business to a military operation. Uh, if it's done right, uh, being on set is, is just, you, you have to, I'm talking feature filmmaking now, not uh, documentary filmmaking. You have to have the light just so the actor must move at this point and stop at this point and do this at that point. You have to finish it by this time in order to get to the next thing at that time and I love that stuff. I love, uh, it's like, a, it's project management supercharged. You know, once you get on set and you, you, and all those components must start to move together, you must understand there's, you know, there's art department, there's the grips department, there's the lighting department, there's the actors, there's, you know, and you have to make all of this thing come and, and get together. And the guy opens the door and says, I love you. And then pulls back. Uh, but what it takes to get there, I find incredible. I I, I love that. Uh, I haven't worked out whether I'm a good director or not. That's the, the 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 funny part about it. I would love to work with an incredible director who has found, I guess, an incredible actor, and between the three of us, we start to develop really good work that people come to see. If you like, directing, I love. It's just not something that I think I'm that great at. And that's mainly because I haven't done it enough times, if you like. I've done a documentary that a lot of people think is amazing. I think I did a film that I, some test audiences, they gave it 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10. Um, but it hasn't gone out because even I, when I was doing it, I wasn't thinking about the things I'm talking to you about now, which is who are the friends of the film? How does it get marketed? Who will see it? All of this stuff. Uh, instead, I just took money out of my own pocket and made the film and bankrupted myself. And then there it was, and it was a wonderful thing to do, but it was one of the most expensive film lessons I ever took because a film needs friends before it's made in order to see the light of day, if you like. I don't know if you know what that means, but if I had had the NFVF and they put in two cents and I had had Video Vision put one cent, and I put all the money in it, and then I asked the kineco ahead of time to be a partner. By the time I'm finished, they're all invested in it, and it's important for it to make, to go forward. But at this stage, it's just Eric, who are you? Uh, and anybody can say no, it doesn't matter. So it was an interesting lesson. But I, haven't, I didn't do it enough times to be that good at it or to know how good I can be at it. Um, and now I'm, I'm happy just to sort of see if the production side of this business needs some people. 
because that's the harder part. Everybody wants to direct, everybody wants to sing and dance, everybody wants to act. But actually the hardest part of it is producing something that makes a return. And that's an interesting place to be. Having said that, I'm at RapidLearn. And RapidLearn is a platform for marketing BRICS films to BRICS people uh, with South Africa at the center. And that's keeping me busy enough. Um, and in terms of how we spoke about representation, how do you think that us projecting our stories, how important is it to us? And how do you think it's important for us to tell our own stories and how will it impact how we are perceived by the rest of the world? It boils down to uh, who invests in, in the story being told. Uh, South Africa as a country hasn't done that great a job in projecting uh, the image of black people. If, if uh, you might look at Warrior Wolf 2 in f China and think, oh my goodness, are we these kind of people? But if you look at the key driver messages, it's the Chinese saying it's they can marry with you, that you are great people, that you have a good country. Although it's got a lot of the patriotic stuff, you can see even as it fails, it is an attempt to say we can be friends and we should be friends for whatever reason the Chinese think this is important, uh, you can assume that they put themselves first in that thinking, that they would like to benefit from having that image go out. And the fact that they fail somehow, and you're still depicted a bit less than what you'd like to be depicted as, is, as they say, power for the cause, I guess, because they are telling the story, they are funding the story, and they are going with what it is. Incidentally, I spoke with uh, the cultural attaché, and I said, next time, you need uh, people to help you. Uh, just talk to the right people because you consult. They shot it in Alexander, and they still messed it up. But uh, having said that, South Africa, for example, uh, we won an Oscar for Tsotsi. What is it about? The black person in there is a potential murderer who's a thief. You know, the white character who's strong there speaks Zulu and is, is quite a good guy. So we haven't done that great a job. In, in telling the world uh, who we are and what we think we are. Uh, and then you look at the black films made by black filmmakers, well, apartheid, and the fact that we suffered. Uh, the thing about the world is uh, it doesn't matter what the reason for your begging is. You are still a beggar. Uh, so as I drive past you, I see a beggar. So who are we? Are we the people who suffered under apartheid, as an example, or are we the people who conquered apartheid, as an example? Um, when apartheid was happening, were we dancing less? Were we, who are we as a people? And I think us being a little too close and romanticizing our struggle a bit too much is a hindrance to our own progress, in my view. So if I were to say... Uh, the way I would direct the question is, would the story be better told if it was put in black hands? And my answer is, it has been, and we haven't done that great a job on it. Uh, I have always felt that, for instance, the m most intelligent thriller that happens to have black people in it would do a bigger job than a story around apartheid and how I suffered told brilliantly. You know, that's what, for instance, uh, Black Panther is doing. You know, because, uh, by the way, people see it making all this money in America. Over 70% of the people going to watch it are white people. And they're loving it and telling other white people to go and watch it. Why? Because it's a story 
about a nation that's isolated, having to fight bigger powers and coming out intelligently in addressing those problems and finding a way to work with those powers without losing its own center, if you like. It's a universal, beautiful story that affirms you. When you walk out of that film, whether you are white, female, or black, or Asian, you feel affirmed as a human being. This is important. So it's not so much who tells the story as it is uh, what we choose to tell and how. Uh, if you ask me, if the thinking is changed and the money is provided, yes, uh, black stories will be better uh, told by black people because we understand the nuances more. But at the same time, the worst ones could be told by black people because if a black person messes it up, the world believes it more. If I do a movie that says blacks are stupid and they can't do and I happen to be a black director, the world will believe it more because I told the story and I'm black. So we need to tell our own stories, but we need to change our thinking around what will change the perception in the world of who we are. And I think that takes moving as far away from criticizing other people's products as possible and changing our view of who we are and what makes us important because it's not our suffering, it's not racism, it's not sexism. These things happen in our lives, but they are not who we are. They're just things we go through as we live. And so we need to concentrate on the journey, uh, if you like. And it's a beautiful journey, this life. You know, uh, That's why I love Catching Feelings. It's a beautiful story. Uh, I don't know if you have seen it, but you should see it if you haven't. It's a love story put in Joburg, and it's, it's going to do more for people thinking Joburg is a cool city than anything ever done in a hell of a long time. You know, it's the trees, it's the, it's like a, a, a love card, a postcard to the world from Joburg, you know, and it just happens to have a lot of black people in it, you know, and then a white guy gets punched in the nose, you know, but actually you realize why, uh, you know, so these kind of stories, that's what we need to start to realize, that we, are, we can thrill people, we can do love stories, we can do dramatic stories, but at the center of what we tell is human stories that can touch anybody anywhere. I always say to young people, I used to tell uh, black kids that, you know, uh, black people have invented the doorknob, which you take for granted, but it's a black guy who invented it. Now you think it's normal, but the fridge, you know, the traffic light, you know, they say the first combustion engine was a black guy, and that's what led to cars and aeroplanes and what have you. Uh, people know Edison was held by a black guy when he was working with the light bulb, and I think the black guy uh, cracked that thing. So as you list these things, people don't know in recent times that a Ghanaian guy is the guy who cracked uh, the method of controlling the robot on Mars. They could land it, but they couldn't direct it, and a Ghanaian guy cracked the code of how you actually direct that robot from Earth. People don't know Philip M. is a Nigerian guy. He's known as the father of the Internet. He was the first guy to make multiple computers do billion calculations per second. And that helped have you network computers so that you have the Internet. People don't know this. And whenever people get to be told these black kids, they say, yeah, I knew I was better. I knew that I was not that. And they get all puffed up. And I said, no, you're not better. I'm just teaching you these things so you know that no member of the human race has not contributed substantially to the advancement of the human race. You're just being told that you didn't, but the fact that now you know you did does not make you better because I can start listing what white people did. 
I can list what Chinese people did. I can list virtually every grouping in the world, and they all have contributed. So when you walk into a room and you say, I'm a woman and I'm strong, if that room loves women, man, they're going to lift you up, they're going to give you a hug, kiss you on the cheek, and they'll love you. If they hate women, they might rape you and murder you. Yeah? Walk into a room and say, I'm a black man, I'm strong. Yeah? If they love black men, they'll be like, oh, my brother. You know, if they hate you, they might lynch you. Yeah? Walk into a room and say, I'm a human being. Uh, and a lot of people start to look at you differently. They think, okay, I thought it was a black guy. I thought it was a woman. It's a human being. Oh, I'm a human being. It does something different. You see, we are humans, and there's not a member of the human race that has not suffered under racism or oppression, we might be the last in the line of this because Africa was difficult to conquer back in the day. But the English had the, uh, the Vikings come in and mess them up big time, run them forever. Yeah? When those were done, the Romans came, they took over, they ran them ragged. So they were under colonial rule. And before any of these people came, they had kings that were ruling over the serfs. You know? uh, and then one day, they took all the lessons from their abusers and they went and colonized a larger part of the world. So they too were rubbish. And by the way, nothing says they're not slaves today because there are ways in which uh, you look at London apartments and what they cost and if you think these people are being robbed. But they think they're amazing because they're not African. But they're still slaves and it's still a few people running a lot of stuff. You understand? So walk into a room, know that you're a human at any given time, be ready to rebel a little bit because uh, uh, if you don't do that, you end up a slave, you know, and you're okay. That's it.